Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Lots to talk about today. The ongoing situation, the battle with COVID. Where are we with the national rural health system? How is it holding up with these uh, spikes in cases across the country? How is the rural health care system handling it? And how is the vaccination process being handled in rural health care systems? We'll talk about that with Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President for the National Rural Health Association. We'll get an update from him. Also, U.S.-China relations. How might they change under a Biden administration? What does that mean for ag trade? We'll talk with Jake Parker, the Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. And... Dry weather in South America, dry weather concerns in the U.S. We'll talk about weather patterns with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, coming up later in today's program. So we have a lot of ground to cover. But we're going to start things off with the markets and with the ag economy as we start 2021. Joining us is Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. Scott, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we we get this year off um, with higher markets and a lot of excitement about the market prices. Um, my question has been to several, and I want to ask you this, get your perspective. Do you see this now as a trend of a stronger ag economy after years of being down, or do you see this as just a, a brief blip that we can uh, hopefully not only enjoy, but farmers can take advantage of and make some good uh, decisions here to, to take advantage of the opportunities that they have. But is this a turnaround, you think, for the ag economy, or is it too soon to tell? I, I think it is a turnaround, but it has to be kept in perspective. Uh, you know, as we look to 2021, it's doubtful that we're going to see anything near the $50 billion of um federal support that has poured into the sector. So even with these good prices, you have to think that 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 will be trimmed in 2021. And we have certainly the prospect of a very large acreage response to these prices in the uh, in the US. Uh, And if we get good weather next summer in the US, you know, we're looking at the prospect of, of big crops. So um, it's going to, the, the benefits of this are going to stretch out for a uh, couple calendar years. Uh, but at the same time, I don't see anything in the fundamentals that we're looking at that say that we're going to stay at prices anywhere near these levels for long. Yeah, that's interesting. And we had this discussion with some folks yesterday. Fundamentals. Sometimes when you get in the heat of something like a, a bull market like this, uh, you, you kind of overlook fundamentals because it's almost, it almost gets irrational. Some of the other things, outside money coming in and things like that, and it, it takes on a life of its own. But eventually, at some point, you get back to the fundamentals. That's right. And to me, you look at the, there's going to be large, eventually, demand and supply impacts of these prices um, you know approaching you know five dollar cash corn and um, you know um, 
$13 cash soybeans. I mean, at some point, this has to bite and ration usage. I mean, that's what the market is trying to find, a price level that will price some people out of the market on the demand side. That's going to happen. Um, And prices will at least have to stay high enough to, um, in expectation, you know, give the market a prospect of a large U.S. crop with with a large acreage response this spring. You know, the combination of those two things are kind of like a pincer. At some point, uh, they're going to come together, and you know, prices will will tumble a lot. That's the historical pattern, um, and I I think it's going to be repeated. We have seen before, in times of high prices, sometimes that's not the answer to all uh, problems, as we have learned uh, painfully in the past. Sometimes it creates uh, new problems, even. Uh, so we'll see how this plays out. But already there talk of you know cash rents being adjusted higher and things like that. I mean, there's always a ripple effect. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the high prices create margins that you know are kind of like water. They flow through the sector. And uh, that's going to happen, and that's not an you know unexpected in a competitive sector like the uh, grain sector around the globe. You're going to see an effect on cash rents. You'll see this in machinery prices and all uh, forms of fixed assets. Uh, some of this will be bid into into their values. Yep, so we'll see how all this plays out. It's going to be interesting. Meanwhile, the biofuels industry, uh, we're going to talk about this tomorrow, about their need for COVID relief, and we'll see how that plays out as how USDA chooses to handle it. But these are still very challenging times for the biofuels industry. Well, in particular, with these uh, price run-ups, you saw an announcement of one Iowa ethanol plant closing, not closing, but uh, uh, stopping production for some period of time. Uh, at these price levels, so far, ethanol prices haven't kept up, so you're going to probably see some demand rationing on the on the corn ethanol side. So, uh, yes, indeed, these, these high prices are, at least at the moment, certainly not good news for the uh, U.S. biofuels industry. Because when you talk about the fundamentals, you talk about what's the demand. Well, ethanol is a big part of that demand to to use the corn, so we'll see how that plays out. Let me ask you this finally, real quick. How is it you think we didn't see this come? Was this so totally unpredictable, this complete turnaround in the markets? Or as you look back now, you say, maybe we should have picked up on some some signs that this could be coming. Uh. You know, and I'll be the first to admit that I certainly did not forecast this kind of dramatic price run-up. So put put that out there. I'm in, the, you know, in that camp. Uh, I think part of it is a supply that is hard to predict. You're predicting the weather. We had a substantial kind of late season swoon in U.S. production prospects, and then South America. On top of that, those are always hard to predict. And then the other element that makes it very hard to predict, you know, China just came in with massive buying. We we really didn't know what their plans were because that's essentially a political decision. So I guess that's my only defense for missing it. 
Well, China's always the big unknown because it's so hard to get accurate information from them and to know what they're going to do. We're going to talk about that later in the program. Scott, good to talk with you, as we will often throughout the course of this new year. Thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate it and look forward to future very interesting conversations. All right. Take care, Scott. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. We'll talk more about China later. But up next, the National Rural Health Association. Uh, We'll talk with Brock Slayball, their senior vice president. How is the system handling the COVID cases right now, especially some of these spikes around the country? And an update on the vaccination process. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Andrew Bailey is the Science and Technology Council at the National Pork Producers Council. Andrew, we know that USDA and the Food and Drug Administration have been locked in a regulatory tug-of-war, you could say, when it comes to the authority on gene editing in livestock, and the Trump administration has signaled that they have an intention to make that oversight go to USDA. That's good news, isn't it? Definitely. You know, that's good news for, you know, uh, pork producers in this country and really all of animal agriculture you know this is really a a first step um, in the process of modernizing our uh, regulatory regime that governs uh, gene editing specifically you know modern new gene uh, genetic technologies in livestock and um, it's something we definitely welcome we're very supportive of usda's effort to essentially try and and bring uh, gene editing and and these sort of new genetic technologies on the livestock side in line with how they are um, on the crop side For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, Get to fresh air right away from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, while I think we were all anxious and happy to turn the calendar page and get 2020 behind us, especially because of COVID, of course, that doesn't make it all go away, and we're still dealing with COVID here in 2021, albeit with some more hope, obviously, with the vaccinations and the vaccines, but uh, still a lot of challenges. We know the cases are still running high in many places and really taxing the healthcare system. What about the rural healthcare system? We're joined now by Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Brock, thanks for joining us. Uh, what is the latest? What can you tell us how the the rural healthcare system is holding up with uh, the spikes in certain parts of the country? Well, thank you, Mike. It's great to be on your show today. Uh, we're seeing uh, some leveling of increases, at least, in the spread of COVID infection uh, with the, some of the case rates uh, as a con- percentage of total testing going down a bit. But in some places, of course, we're still seeing surges uh, with hospitalization rates of uh, 30% or more of total admissions uh, due to covid and this is, of course, presenting some real challenges for uh, many rural communities to be able to keep up with that surge uh, in demand. And uh, we're watching that with great interest as we come off of the Christmas holidays now. And uh, hopefully um, uh, we won't be seeing a similar increase after the Christmas holiday like we did after Thanksgiving. Any certain parts of rural America that are more hard hit than others? Well, we're seeing some declines in the Midwest and upper Midwest, which had been hit really hard um, earlier in the, in the late, late fall and winter, early winter. Uh, we're looking now at places in Washington State, uh, Los Animas, Colorado County, uh, Grays Harbor County in Washington State, uh, Carter County, Oklahoma, we're seeing some increases, uh, the highest reported increases as a percentage of, uh, of cases uh, in some of those locations. So it's kind of um, spotty, as it were. I mean, it's, uh, there's, there's hot spots, but they're not regional or really overwhelmingly all over in one place or another. We're talking with Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. All right, I mentioned earlier the, the hope is, and now that we have vaccines coming out and we're starting to see people get vaccinated, um, that you know we'll be able to turn the corner on this. Where are we as far as, as that process goes and how the rural health care system is playing a part in that? Well, Mike, it's a great question. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time uh, dealing with vaccination distribution vaccine distribution nationwide and of course we've been working with the centers for disease control to try to make sure that rural uh, communities are, are are prioritized in the distribution uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, there's a vaccine available in many states and they're shipping more and we're expecting a lot more supply to be going to the states for um, uh, inoculation however uh, unfortunately, the infrastructure in many states is not set up right now to be able to uh, 
uh, actually get those vaccinations into the arms of people. And so um, we're looking at logistics being uh, one of the primary bottlenecks now uh, to get it from the point of production uh, in either uh, in Mississippi or up in Wisconsin out to out to every rural community that uh, should need to be getting it. So and we're finding differences in states. Some states are doing a better job than others. What are some of the biggest challenges in getting this done? Well, part of the problem is a lot of our local and state health departments have uh, over the last uh, 10, 15 years been um, woefully understaffed and funded. And so they went into this pandemic with uh, uh, a relative uh, understaffing. And so uh, now they've been dealing with competing for staff uh, to be able to administer uh, vaccines with hospitals and clinics that are needing employees uh, that are healthcare uh, licensed and certified. So it's just creating a a typical bottleneck uh, in terms of being able to get this uh, out there uh, quickly. Now, we know we we keep hearing about, you know, partnerships with... um... Walgreens and CVS is, is I mean will that will they carry a lot of this uh, load in, in getting vaccinations well in areas that are within two hours of a Walgreens or a CVS uh, that's going to be for inoculating uh, residents of nursing homes and long-term care facilities um, and so um, the CDC has set up partnerships with um, uh, local and state governments to be able to get the inoculations to nursing homes and long-term care facilities that are outside of that two-hour radius of a CVS or a Walgreens. So again, those are just logistical challenges that are being worked out uh, for our, our rural communities that don't have access to those two big big box uh, drug stores. Where are you with getting the the staffs at rural health care facilities? getting them uh, vaccinated. Has that pretty well been completed now or not? It is in the process. Uh, that has gone fairly well. Um, and uh, all those that want to take it and a lot of healthcare institutions have uh, been able to get them. Uh, and I'm th- proud to say, like in the state of Kansas, for example, most all rural hospitals have had access to the vaccine uh, the interesting thing is we're seeing uh, some uptake uh, percentages that are rather low. So in some institutions, I've heard anecdotally one in Indiana that was only 35 to 40 percent of their employees are being inoculated. Uh, but then in other places, like in Nebraska, I heard of a facility where over 85 percent of their employees are getting vaccinated. So it's really an interesting distribution of the uptake within that uh, population of uh, people. Brock, based on what you know now, what you see now, when do you think everyone who wants to be vaccinated will be vaccinated? Well, that's a good question. Um, Dr. Fauci, um, whom has uh, talked about this quite a bit, uh, believes that probably by late summer, uh, early fall of 2021, we should uh, be at a point of reaching what's known as herd immunity, meaning that the number of people in the population are high enough uh, that uh, it will reduce and it will eliminate the spread of the disease or at least the harm to people. So, so we're looking at that time frame possibly um, and with any luck and some more funding to state and local governments to address some of those logistical issues. 
uh, that could that could possibly be sped up even more. Are you seeing cases, and are you concerned about the potential of this this new strain of the virus, uh, you know, spreading across the country? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. And that uh, that new variant uh, is one that uh, we were sad to see uh, come to the United States. Uh, but I think that the good news is is that the the virility, meaning that the um, it doesn't cause any more serious uh, uh, in, uh, acute disease. It's just that you can get it a lot easier. Uh, so hopefully with the, with the vaccines that are being put into the arms of people, uh, it's kind of a race against time now, I guess. Uh, but yes, we're very concerned about that. And that's what I have told people constantly, that they need to be very vigilant on uh, um, wearing face coverings, uh, staying socially distanced, avoiding large crowds, washing hands, and um, staying home or staying inside when you're sick. Uh, that's the only way that we're going to be able to really combat the, until we get the vaccines in the arms of people going forward. And finally, Brock, the rural healthcare system was under stress and pressure going into the pandemic. What do you see after the pandemic as far as how the system will come through this? Um, we're, we're working on that now. Uh, the COVID relief legislation that was passed by Congress just before the holidays um, had some really exciting uh, provisions in it for rural America, uh, the creation of the rural emergency hospital, and then some um, changes to rural health clinic uh, provisions, um, as well as additional funding for provider relief funds for uh, rural clinics and hospitals. So, um, so we're in the process of uncovering those uh, elements of uh, good news and uh, seeing how we can help uh, providers in rural areas uh, get access to those. Look forward to talking with you more about that when you get more information. In our next visit, we can get into that. Brock, always appreciate your updates. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Well, there's always so much uh, focus on China and trade and relations with China. What might be ahead under a new administration? And also, can we expect to see these kind of purchases from China continue? We'll talk about that with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain markets are higher across the board with strength being led by the soy complex once again. Corn futures were able to press through $5 overnight and have slipped just below that level Wednesday morning. Trends remain up and gains could continue to accelerate with little in the way of overhead resistance. On the Board of Trade, marked corn is trading a penny higher at four ninety-three. The May contract up a penny as well at four ninety-three and a half cent. March soybeans trading 12 and a half cent higher at 13.59 and three quarters. The May contract up 11 and three quarters at 13.57 and three quarters. Chicago wheat march down a half a cent at 6.53 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat march up a fraction at 6.09 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat march up a half cent at 6.07 and three quarters. Widespread market swings in cattle and hog futures during the first two days of January is creating increased concern that market volatility may continue. Early morning stability is likely Wednesday until increased volume moves back into the complex. On the Board of Trade, February lean hogs up 30 cents at 71.22. The April contract up 42 at 74.52. April live cattle trading 27 cents lower at 118.80. The June contract down 7 at 114.60. March feeder cattle down 5 cents at 137.37. The April contract down 20 at 139.17. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning, with a few early asking prices noted around $114 plus in the south and not yet established in the north. Bids remain hard to find. While it is possible we may see some trade develop today, tomorrow seems more likely. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 181 points. The Nasdaq Composite down 67. The S&P 500 up 7. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. One of the big reasons, of course, for the market rally has been the big buying spree by China. 
purchasing U.S. ag products. Will that continue here in 21? Let's talk about it with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake, thanks for joining us. Happy New Year to you. What do you think? What do you see ahead for China purchases this year? Happy New Year, Mike, and uh, really happy to be here. Despite the change in administration, we expect the policy environment for U.S.-China agricultural trade to remain largely stable in the short term. The president-elect has indicated that he'll focus on domestic priorities before tackling trade issues and has said that he has no plans on withdrawing from the Phase One trade agreement or removing tariffs in the short term. We've seen no indications that the Chinese will stop their tariff exclusions for products covered under the Phase One agreement either, which should continue to make for a more fruitful environment for imports. Uh, Long term, however, the picture is a bit more mixed. The new administration is currently formulating its strategy towards China, so there's more uncertainty on how it will manage agricultural trade. However, because Secretary Vilsack has been nominated to be Agriculture Secretary because of his strong ties to farmers, we can expect him to be a strong, consistent advocate for American farmers and ranchers going forward, and it's very unlikely they're going to take some of these purchases off the table, we think, in the medium term as well. Happy to talk about some of the purchase numbers in the future if you'd like, but maybe I can just pause there. Okay, well, there's there's always the big question, uh, the, the struggle to get good, accurate information out of China, just what is their uh, supply situation, what is their need uh, to give us kind of an idea of what they might be purchasing. It's always hard to get a good, uh, you know, a good count on that. Yeah, that, that's for sure. And as part of the phase one agreement, when it comes to calculating these numbers, it counts both based on U.S. export data as well as Chinese import data. So that, that's one area where we've seen a, a little bit of a discrepancy as well. Uh, however, when we look at China's agricultural commitments and some of the statements that have been made by the U.S. trade representatives, they've indicated that China's implemented 50 of 57 of its commitments in agriculture. It's already led to an increase of market access for American grains, proteins, fruits, vegetables, dairy, pet food, and and seafood. What about outside of agriculture? When you're talking with uh, uh, folks about doing business with China, is there optimism outside of the ag markets as far as uh, doing business this year? It's been very interesting, Mike. Uh, This year, many of our companies indicate that because China entered into recession territory for the first time in decades in the second quarter, there's been a significant amount of loosening domestically on some of the regulatory challenges that U.S. companies have faced on the ground in China in the past. Big part of that is focused on this economic recovery, so some of the environmental standards that were more aggressively uh, enforced in the past, some of the other standards on, on environment and other things have been loosened a little bit. So the business environment has actually improved on the ground. Um, We also expect that because the Chinese government is sensitive to some of the discussions here in the United States about supply chain resiliency, we're ensuring that things like personal protective equipment, pharmaceuticals are more resilient in the future. We expect they're trying to give American companies a better business environment so they're not shifting their supply chains out of the China market. So I think for those two reasons, we have seen a slight improvement in the market domestically in China this year. We're talking with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President with the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake, when we go back and look at how really this got started with uh, you know, the trade war, the tariffs and everything, a lot of it had to do with intellectual property and, and concerns about what China might be stealing from us or taking from us, and, and those were some of the big issues that were going to be addressed. Has any of that been addressed? 
So we talk to our member companies frequently about their intellectual property rights concerns and how protection is proceeding in the China market. This is the chapter of phase one that has maybe fewer of the specific measurable commitments than we see in, for example, the, the agriculture chapter, which is a bit more robust. You know, from what we hear from our member companies, IP protection is something that does not affect every single company in the China market, but for those it does affect, and, and I mean here the tech transfer piece or the, the forced technology transfer piece. Uh, for those it does affect, of course, it's an acute concern. And most of our companies, when they talk to us, they tell us that they've operated in China for many years, in some cases many decades, and they've developed robust um, ways of protecting their intellectual property. And as one executive recently told me, shame on any global executive that brings their crown jewels to the China market because there's frankly an expectation that those could be leaked or stolen. Uh, so companies have to manage these their IP in a very strategic way and for most, that means not bringing their best technology to China. And of course, that works against China's domestic goals of trying to move up the industrial value chain. Because if companies are worried about their IP being protected, China can't uh, develop those technology areas. Hmm. So you, you've referred to this earlier about the change in administration. Some of it we just don't know until we actually get into it. But um, can we see anything? You mentioned the history Tom Vilsack has. Uh, there's a lot of concerns raised about the history with the Biden family in China. How does all that play out? I mean, we've talked about this before. There's what you see and hear in the headlines and the national media, and then there's what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, what do you th expect or look uh, at uh, as key indicators of how this relationship will go? Uh so I was on a call this morning with one of the uh, senior appointees that will be going into the Biden administration. And what they indicated to us is that what they really want is a quiet reapproachment with China where they can begin to slowly improve the relationship over time. However, the, there's been just some really challenging developments over the last few days. The actions that were taken in Hong Kong last night helped no one uh, because it, it just puts the new administration in a challenging situation where they'll need to respond to some of the political pressures around human rights, and there's issues with Xinjiang and cotton and forced labor, some of these issues in Hong Kong about the erosion of democracy there. And these are things that are much more core priorities for a progressive Democrat agenda than they would have been even for the Republican agenda that we've seen in office now. So it, it puts them in a challenging situation. Uh, I think ultimately what we'd like to see, not only us, but the Biden administration as well, is a, a lowering of the temperature of the overall relationship because frankly international affairs is not going to be the top priority for the first six months of the administration they don't want to focus on covid they're going to focus on economic recovery and they're going to ensure uh, that the united states is set up to be stronger coming out of the epidemic so they can engage more robustly internationally and as we have seen so often jake issues like you mentioned hong kong the human rights issues when those things really flare up, oftentimes uh, agriculture gets caught in that, right? I mean, the retaliation and the, some of the things that happen over these issues usually winds up happening with to agriculture and ag trade. Yeah, and unfortunately, ag trade and particularly soybeans is just, it happens to be the political punching bag of the Chinese government if they get unhappy. Uh, we've seen this with Australia and some of the, the, the conflict that they've had with China as well. I think the good news is, is that we have a specific written commitment from the Chinese government. They have missed that agricultural purchase target in 2020. And the fact that we have a new administration and a Chinese government who would like to at least 
keep some resilience in the relationship, my expectation is that ag should be a little bit safer now than it has been in previous conflicts with previous administrations, just because China will not want to further degrade the relationship beyond what it has to. Because they have purchased so much and we have such a strong market response right now, uh, there hasn't been a lot of focus on the fact they didn't really hit those phase one uh, commitments. what do you think about how close they got? Were you surprised they got this close or disappointed they didn't didn't hit those marks? I'll be honest with you, Mike. I'm always disappointed when farmers aren't selling the absolute maximum they could, and I think we had bigger numbers here that should have been reached. Um, if we look specifically at the numbers, China committed to purchasing $200 billion in U.S. goods and services in 2020 and 2021 on top of the 2017 levels. Using the U.S. export data for agriculture, this breaks down to $33.4 billion in purchases in 2020 and around $40 billion in 2021. According to calculations of the Peterson Institute, as of November, the U.S. had exported $22.5 billion worth of agricultural products. And that's a 67%, and that's an increase over 2017, but it's only 67% of the target that China agreed to meet uh, for 2020. So we are a little disappointed about that. Uh, but there's obviously some explanations there, right? We've had a global pandemic. We've had some challenges domestically in China's economy. All of those have impacted uh, agricultural trade. And so we're happy that they beat the 2017 targets. But clearly, there's more room for this to pick up in 2021. Do you think we'll see a phase two trade deal? Uh, we're sure hopeful of a phase two trade agreement. At the U.S.-China Business Council, we're Big fans of phase one and the potential for phase two because it put the floor under the deterioration of the relationship. Hey, it's not perfect. doesn't address a lot of the issues in the relationship, but it does give us a framework for us to continue these discussions. And we should be locking in the successes of phase one, particularly in agricultural trade. We shouldn't throw out these opportunities for American farmers and ranchers just because we have a new administration. Well, it'll always be interesting between the U.S. and China, and there are a lot of things at play here, certainly uh, beyond agriculture, but that's our focus here, and uh, we always appreciate your updates and your perspective on this, Jake, and look forward to touching base with you quite often here in 2021. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Jake Parker, Senior Vice President with the U.S.-China Business Council. He has a good handle on uh, the ag business between the U.S. and China, but also gives us that perspective of beyond agriculture, the trading relationship, and other factors going on between the two countries. That's always going to be key to the markets uh, As you know, when we look at where the, is the ag economy going. Uh, it's so much of it revolves around how is our relationship with China going, so we'll be keeping a close watch on that. We're also keeping a close watch on dry weather concerns. What are the patterns shaping up here early in 21 as we head towards spring? We'll talk about it with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight 
and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Sinsky, Chief Executive Officer of the American Soybean Association. Well, I know that you are pleased with the passage of the COVID relief package and what it contains for agriculture. Also, that, that omnibus bill. We were pleased with the agriculture-specific provisions that are included in the bill. I know that there were some more controversial things that were included in the omnibus that not everyone's in, in favor of, and you know they get presented as a package. But Certainly, as part of that total package, there was that COVID relief, and so we were very pleased to see that it's going to be additional support for crop producers, soybean producers included on that, $20 an acre payments. There's funding for broadband. There's making sure that there's enough funding for vaccine distribution, prioritizing the distribution to frontline food industry workers, and that's been a priority and something that ASA has been urging. 
For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to talk weather patterns with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. He joins us now. Dennis, Happy New Year. Thanks for being with us. Happy New Year to you guys, too. Hope everybody's doing well. Yep. We're, we keep an eye on the weather right now in South America, but we're also watching this drought monitor uh, map here in the U.S., and uh, we see where we're at here in January and a lot of dry areas and wondering what that's going to mean come uh, planting time and uh, and uh, the growing season this year. Uh, what are your thoughts? Look, How do you analyze and look at that drought monitor map, and what are your biggest concerns? Um, well, I mean, we, we kind of are where we are with the drought right now. Uh, Wintertime, you usually don't see much movement one way or the other. You, you do get a little bit of movement uh, towards improvement or worsening. But since we don't expect much precipitation, no overall moisture during the winter time, the drought monitor map doesn't shift very quickly. So we kind of are where we are, you know. So we've got uh, you know most of the plains, uh, part of the Midwest, and then a kind of a, a pass, uh, you know, through the through the high states over into Michigan with some dry soils still continuing. Um, so the the drought monitor is is still fairly serious in some of those places. I don't like, like I said previously, I don't expect a lot of change in that, uh, uh, you know, probably for the next month or two until we start getting to a point where we either get bigger precipitation or, or, or you know, we, we start missing out on precipitation. So that's where we are right now. Definitely concerned about those dry soils areas and their ability to uh, be improved as we're going into the, at least the planting season. We'd like to get some moisture in the planting season, but then definitely going to need keep uh, need, need to keep getting precipitation through the summer. I have a feeling uh, we're going to be very reliant on getting uh, ongoing precipitation through the summertime. It's going to be more hard to get through any, any protracted dry periods, unfortunately. Is this La Nina related? Uh, it is La Nina related. Um, and the La Nina continues um, fairly strength, uh, you know, fairly strongly uh, ongoing right now. No real changes in that situation. Uh, the current La Nina outlooks continue uh, with us at least until springtime. Uh, you know, the, the official outlooks say weakening, you know, more likely of, uh, for the La Nina to weaken and dissipate during the spring. Unfortunately, there was an update that came out on Monday of some of the early computer models looking at what La Nina would do in the spring and the summer. And uh, one of the models uh, weakens the La Nina but holds it in La Nina territory into the summertime. Uh, 
and uh, we, we've talked about this before, that that's uh, my biggest concern is uh, not only our dry soil starting off, but then if we do uh, keep that La Nina going into the summertime, that does increase our drought risk uh, going on into the year, particularly in western Corn Belt areas and, and Plains areas have the bigger risk uh, of drought issues with, with that La Nina continuing. Am I calling for a drought this year? there's always some level of drought in the Midwest almost every year. So there's going to always going to be some. Uh, I'm starting to become a bit more concerned about drought continuing uh, into the summer a bit more than, than we'd like it to. So, you know, if, if you are in a dry soil area right now, definitely be thinking about doing your what-ifs, okay? At what point do I change? What kind of things can I change to deal with this? You know, can I reduce my plant populations? change your marketing strategy, whatever it is, that's, I would start doing some of those what-ifs right now so that you're not caught in the middle of it should things worsen. Yeah, it's going to be a big story, no doubt, here in 2021. Um, so for the rest of winter, you don't see any big snows coming. I mean, a lot of times we're talking about, uh, you know, a lot of snow up in the upper Midwest and waiting for that to melt and come downstream and uh, concerns about flooding and things like that. Uh, you not see that happening this winter? Well, our, our, our flood risk right now is relatively low throughout most of the Midwest because we were so dry at the end of last year. So streams are not running very high to begin with. Uh, so that's working in our favor. We do have some snow cover from the eastern Dakotas, uh, you know, over to, uh, you know, through Iowa down into the Great Lakes. Uh, you know, not, not a monster, but a, a nice snow cover right now. Uh, the, the snowiest part of winter is the latter part of winter, so we're waiting for that to kick in. Uh, and and we're, we're still watching what the computer models bring us. I, I You know, there was a flip that happened from late December until early January. Uh, the outlooks from the NOAA's Climate Prediction Center and the models all look like things are going to start getting more active as we got into January so that the outlooks went that way. And then there was a flip in the beginning of January uh, the things are still staying dry overall or drier than average overall. So we're going to continue to get snows, but right now it looks like it's going to be fairly, fairly minor snowfalls, um, nothing big just yet. But there is potential uh, for a potential shift coming. Um, you're going to hear talk about the polar vortex coming up in the next couple weeks uh, because there is uh, something happening over the pole that will cause that the polar vortex actually to break down and it's going to split, and we're probably going to get some cold air maybe coming across the continental U.S. Uh, in a couple of weeks. Let's see how this works out. But it's possible we could get cold and a more active storm pattern starting up at that point. Still a lot to be determined, so let's keep an eye on that right now. Hey, real quick, just a few seconds left. Does this year, starting off the way it is, what you just described, does that remind you of any other year recently that we've gone through? Um... Uh, you know, I, I don't like to talk about, uh, you know, comparison years because it, 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 uh, sometimes we might scare people a little bit too much. Um, I, I don't have a comparison year right now, but I do have some level of concern going in. So for right now, let's keep an eye on it and, and start thinking ahead about what might happen here. Yeah. Kind of scares me that you don't want to talk about it because it might scare us. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it this year, Dennis. Thank you very much. Always appreciate uh, the overview. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. You guys take care.
take care. Dennis Toddy, Director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right, coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about some infrastructure issues. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, some biofuels issues and the transition at USDA. We'll talk with outgoing Undersecretary Bill Northey. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Stay safe. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.